From the journeys of belonging to blackness, blackness. I'm India Lorik Wilmot. Nobody else can do this job. You're listening to the podcast, Talking Journeys of Belonging to Blackness. Joining us today is producer and professional screenwriter, Shamik Cook. Drawing on his experiences growing up in Brooklyn, New York, being a student athlete at the University of Maryland Eastern Shore, and studying acting at Michael Howard Studios in New York City and advertising at the Fashion Institute of Technology, Shamik imaginatively traverses several genres, both in his production projects and 10 screenplays released to date. His screenplay genres include 40 Weeks, a comedy, Soul Survivor, a drama, and Southside Gangsters, a crime drama, to name a few. Most recently, Shamik has decided to scale the invisible Hollywood wall by releasing his screenplays through his innovative script book series. These are available on Amazon, Walmart.com, and Barnes & Noble. Indeed, he is poised to take the next step into production to bring his script book series to screen. I am sure audiences are eager to learn more about the man behind the script book series and forthcoming screen projects. Welcome, Shamik. Thank you. I'm interested in not just the stories people tell, but the journey too. So are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. Right about now. Act one, call to adventure. This is a breakdown. As a producer, a screenwriter, there are paths we take and processes we engage in to get us to where we are today. How did you become interested in becoming a screenwriter? I became interested by accident. You know, basketball was my life. I was in Maryland Eastern Shore on scholarship. Came back home and I wasn't really doing much. But I knew this guy from playing basketball in New York City. He's like, oh, come to FIT. They got this basketball team. You can go get back in school. I think I was really depressed. He convinced me to take one class. So I said that to make my mom happy. And what class did you end up taking? I took an English class in the second semester. Took this class, was kind of half in, half out. I wasn't really taking it serious, but I needed to get back in school and do something. So Yeah, because depression can be a bit hard and we need sometimes an activity or a thing to help ground us. And what'd you end up doing in the class? A lot of what we did was creative writing. We had to do projects like write about our first day of school or our first date or anything like that. Professor, she would make us read out loud. And I hated that because I was shy. One day I read the story out loud and everyone in class started responding. Oh, that was great. That was great. That was awesome. It's like, really? I didn't think much of it. Then we had another assignment. She said, Shamik, I want you to go first. I'm like, what is wrong with this lady, man? Like, what? <laughs> so she would always make me go first because she was just so enthralled with what I was writing or the way I, I wrote. So she pulled me aside after class one day and she said, you should think about changing your major to English. I said, I don't want to be a professor. I don't want to be a teacher. So she said, you should write a novel. You, you're really talented. You really have a gift. I said, I don't really want to write a novel. She said, well, what do you like? So well, I like movies. She said, great, write a movie. And that kind of played in my head. Then I saw a bad movie and I got cocky. So ah, I can write a better movie than that. I started to entertain that, that idea a lot more. Okay, so you are still entertaining the idea, but was there a situation or something that really triggered for you? Let's do this. 
one day, me and my brother and my cousin, we were coming from a basketball game. My brother's basketball game in Harlem. You know, we're walking and this cop car, you know, comes up on the curb and cut us off. Wow. Just classic profiling. They touched us up, threw us against the wall. Oh, my goodness. Dumped all our stuff on on the street. And my brother was really upset. I was really upset. And I knew that that's what I wanted to write about. And that gave me the, the idea for the first screenplay I wrote, which was Soul Survivor, that dealt with police brutality. And this was before Black Lives Matter and all of that became fashionable or popular. I think that's well in the sense that you got the encouragement. And I think it's important to acknowledge the fact that for you, you were in a place that I think that as part of our journeys, most people don't want to admit or don't like to admit publicly. There are times that we are in situations where we may have had particular aspirations, but things may not have worked out the way that we had hoped to or planned to. And to be in a space where you feel emotionally or even mentally stuck. But the timeliness... Perhaps it's serendipity, but you taking this class and having this teacher really see something in you that you couldn't see in yourself. Right. How did it feel to be creative in those moments when you're writing for the class? And I get it. Sometimes we're just writing because it's an assignment. Okay, yes, let's get this done. But <laughs> if you were to reflect now, how did it feel to be creative? As I reflect, I knew that that was God. I knew that I was at home and I was at peace. When I wrote, I had something to say. And because I was always an introvert, I would never speak it. But writing was the outlet for me to say what I wanted to say, the way that I wanted to say it. And that way people would listen. Wow. To be able to find ways to be seen and to be heard through your writing, that is so liberating. You know, I, I feel the most free when I'm writing because for me, it's it's creating a world that exists that is realistic. It's fair sometimes. And even when it's unfair, it makes sense. And what do you mean by that? Things like hate, hating someone for things that they can't change doesn't make sense to me. But if you delve into these characters and stories, maybe you'll understand why they hate this particular group or person. Because we don't get to, to see that. We just get the the face-to-face -face interaction. And that's all we see when we deal with people on a daily basis. And so for you, you're using story as a framework so that people can understand a little bit, bit more about context and people's backgrounds and their motivations too. And so I guess then I could see why writing for you is freeing and liberating because you get to have fun and play and be creative. I feel happy, happiest, most free, most creative in those moments. So that's why I love it. So beyond your screenplay's scope of topics, which range from dark comedy slash rom-com as found in Wife Insurance to the drama Soul Survivor, which you just referenced. And I think with the exception of the comedy 40 Weeks, your stories touch on a particular theme of identity, specifically Black masculinity and brotherhood, particularly as seen in the crime drama Southside Gangster. So if you think back to your childhood being the star basketball player out of McClancy High School in Queens, and then, you know, you went on to earn a basketball scholarship to then studying advertising and acting and then becoming a producer, who or what motivated you to amplify these types of stories? The lack of representation for us in that world motivated me as well as other artists, African-American artists that were actually doing it. Like who? The Spike Lees, the Tyler Perrys. But for me, especially then to write those stories, it's just that we didn't see that stuff, not on, not on screen. 
not in film. There are many different types of stories that have to be told, but there's one representation that I got kind of sick of seeing. Break it down for us. Subservient, slave, those type of roles that to try to make us feel inferior. And most people, they just, they only can see the, the optics of it is, is powerful. That's all we see them there. We'll, we'll start to believe that that's, that's our only place in that society. To create these images, whether positive or negative, is just not one thing. It's not one representation because as a Black man, we're not one thing. We, we have a, a journey that's very complex. Right, because we're not a monolith. There's many different people from many different walks of life. Like if you go to a audition and they say, we're auditioning criminals, Latinos and Blacks only apply. What is that? You know, what is that? What's really going on? And that's the world that they want to create for us because the imagery is, is so powerful. So if that's all we see, it's kind of a, a thing to kind of train us to be inferior. So I got kind of sick of that. And so how do you then strike a balance between showing both the good and bad that exist in our people. Every role I write is not positive, but there's always a message even in those that are quote unquote negative or negative imagery. Like you you'll understand why this guy's a gangster. Or you'll understand why this guy's that's like Southside Gangsters is a story, it's a gangster story, but it's more a story about identity and pride and community. This guy is half Italian, half black, so he has an identity crisis. He has something to prove. He has to prove that he belongs to black people. He has to denounce his white side. So like those things, those subtle things that that I put in stories, it's not just about one thing. Right. So then it becomes about the multiplicity of all of our experiences and backgrounds and so forth. So we need representation of many different African-American males, African-American females. Concrete Jungle is something I wrote, mostly African-American women. They're different types. They are, all have different personalities because, you know, that's what we see. You got the intelligent professor, you got the woman with money, you got the woman that's a little ratchet, you got a little, you know, you got, you got all different types of representation. So it's important for us to see all of those things. And from your standpoint, how much of the work is life imitating art, art imitating life? Yeah. <laughs> well, I always say there's a small piece of me in every lead character that I write, good, bad, or indifferent, because you have to kind of write what you know. Right. I can only imagine the source, the data in which you can pull from, from your everyday experiences. Can you give us an example of a story you'd written that you thought, oh, this would be great storyline for something I want to write? But 40 weeks, I wrote from experience. You know, these characters are mostly white. That's the only screenplay that I have that doesn't have Black leads. I was married at the time, and it was originally titled 40 Weeks of Hell. It's basically what guys go through when women are pregnant, because we always know women go through a lot when they're pregnant and carrying a child. But no one gave the perspective of what we are subjected to because we have to be there for women. So those experiences, like taking one bite out of a sandwich and throwing it in the trash, like that really happened to me. <laughs> And I'm like losing my mind. Like, wait, why would I go all the way to the store to get you take a bite and then throw it in the trash? So it's funny on screen or in the book. But like when that stuff happened, I'm like. I want to say for the record, you were not subjected to. You were part of the process. Oh, yeah. That's more politically correct. Yeah. But it's just, it gave a fresh perspective on that. And really the ways in which art was imitating your life or how you drew from your life to create the art. It happens. I think it's three components to the way I write. What are they? Um, one is personal experience. Two is imagination. You know, and three is just, you know, feel. 
In addition to finding inspiration in your own life or others and your experience with having that English teacher when you were taking that class really encourage you to go down the path of exploring writing. Mm -hmm. And then even that experience that you had just described about your encounter with the police alongside your brother. What was that pivotal moment that confirmed to you that storytelling via a script book series is something that you need to pursue? It was a hobby for me. The first thing I did when I started writing, because I wanted to get people's honest opinion, I would say a friend of mine wrote it. Was that for honesty or was this rooted out of a fear of rejection? Because I wanted the real. Sometimes when people know it's from you, they they won't be honest. So I wanted an honest account. But the moment for me, I had this dear friend. Her name was Beverly Orozco to NYU. She was really into the film thing. She was a writer herself. She produced like all these plays, off-Broadway plays. And my cousin introduced me to her and she kind of was really was like, oh, you're so talented, this and that. And it was a, just a hobby for me. You know, she really was pushing me and, and she was kind of my conduit to that world because she had all these connections. She introduced me via phone to this guy, Jim Kauf, who was a writer, was a screenwriter in Hollywood, worked many, many years. He wrote a lot of movies that you've seen, um, Rush Hour and Con Air and Gang Related and Stakeout. So this guy had a lot of credits and he's telling me how good he thought Southside Gangsters was. Wow. And he gave me notes and he's real kind. And, you know, there was talks back then about trying to get the money to, to produce it. I can only imagine all the things that were going through your head where he was a man that you had admired professionally telling you that your work has value and is interesting and worthy. That's the confirmation that I needed. And what about your friend who introduced the two of you? My friend, she she passed away a few years ago. May she rest in peace. There was a time when, you know, I stopped writing and I was like, yeah, I'm trying to get this stuff to happen, nothing's happening. So I'm gonna get, I'm gonna stop doing it. And she got so mad at me. She like told me off, you know, and she was, she's, you know, she's alpha. So she really was pissed. What are you doing? You got a gift. Don't, don't ever stop writing. Why are you so excited? We're not making any money. We're broke. Like I'm, I'm broke. Well, I'm broke. I'm not getting paid from this. She made me promise her to never stop writing. Okay. So that conversation was that moment that made you consider this is no longer a hobby. This is something I can do and take seriously. I didn't really embrace being an artist, though, until a few years ago. I was just kind of doing it. Why? Because I was doing it trying to get make something happen. I love doing it, but I, I got frustrated because I'm like, yeah, I'm trying to get these things going. I'm trying to get it on screen. I'm trying to make a sale, and it's not happening. But I needed to embrace the art of it. Right, and to embody it, to breathe it, to speak it, to live it. I speak it now with confidence because I know at my core, at my in my heart, I'm an artist. And then once you embrace that aspect, then things fall into place and you're able to manifest because you've claimed it. That was kind of people being put in your life to to reaffirm that that part. Like you need to embrace this, that you are an artist. Can you elaborate a little bit more for us? Because when I was in acting class, I would talk to actors all the time. And some of these, you know, these people that were in my acting class, they went on to do TV and stuff like that. And but I'm sure the complaint was that there weren't that many roles out there. They would complain, ah, there's no roles. I just want to play this type of role. I auditioned for this. And I'm like, well, why don't you just write the role that you want to play? And they just looked at me like I'm crazy. I'm like, what? What do you mean? Write the role? I was like, how hard can it be? Just, yeah, just write it. <laughs> I love your response. How hard can it be when that's your gift, right? You know, people had to explain to me, like, yo, everyone can't do that. That is your gift. And it's not just screenwriting. 
it's writing period. Like I wrote short stories. I write, I wrote over a hundred poem film shorts. I wrote all kinds of things. I just love to do like, that's what I do best. That's how I express myself best. Yeah. Embracing that was, was powerful for me. Act two, the road. So you talked about writing as an outlet for you where you feel most free, but how do you play? I watch a lot of films. I watch movies. I enjoy the movie going experience. I enjoy anything that has to do with creating art, things that have some form of expression, whether that's music, whether that's movies, uh, reading a play, seeing a play, anything that has to do with creativity, I, I enjoy. Give us an example of a particular genre, author, playwright that you enjoy. I remember seeing this play called The Soldier's Play. I think Kenny Leon directed it. I went to the Roundabout Theater, Blair Underwood. It was like a bunch of new, really talented actors. It was really good. David Allen Gray was in it. And then I did research and I didn't know that there was a film. Yeah, there was a film. And then even before that, play had then debuted. And I think Denzel Washington was on the cast. I can't remember. Did you end up watching the film? The same day, because I wanted to see the differences and what played well on stage and what played well in the film. And then I started doing research because now I want to know about the production part of it. How much did it cost and you know where did they shoot? And I kind of engrossed myself in the, the entire process because it's not just like, all right, I just watched it. No, who wrote it? What else did he write? And then I'll go and watch other things that that particular writer has done. That's really a healthy curiosity that you have here that allows you to become quite immersive in the person's body of work. And why do you think that's critical for you? Because I want to know what made it good. Even if it's fun, it's work. And sometimes work can be fun because when you love something, you know, it doesn't seem like work. By my account, right, so this is my perspective, I think your work is reminiscent of author Eric Jerome Dickey uh -huh. and People of His Elk. So he's written a lot of different types of books that span a range of genres as well. All the protagonists are of, for the most part, of African descent. Your protagonists... Two, they're often male, not all, but they're often male. Uh -huh. These protagonists, they experience economic success, even if they don't always start off that way. They are intelligent, though I find them to be a little bit prideful or arrogant at times. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> Emotionally unavailable, particularly towards some of the female characters. And Double I, ouch. <laughs> but importantly, they rely on brotherhood and community. Okay. So how would you describe your male characters? And how do you hope to convey to <clears throat> audiences about these male characters as it relates to Black masculinity? Well, like I said, there there is a small part of me in every uh, lead character. Oh, so um, you took offense just now. Uh, yeah, a little, no. <laughs> But no, <laughs> I never get offended by the truth. There is a part of me that may be true. If you're just referencing 
Concrete Jungle or Wife Insurance, those particular characters, yeah, I would characterize as, as emotionally unavailable to women to an extent. That that would be accurate. Soul and Soul Survivor is not. Brooklyn and Brooklyn is not. Mickey Beeman and Southside Gangsters, I don't think that would hold true. So wait, 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 Mickey Beeman? Yes. You don't think that he was somewhat emotionally unavailable? See, I don't want to give it away, but to his to his woman. Yeah. And even towards the end, how he engaged the narrator. I I don't agree. But here's why. Because I I believe that his woman, his wife, was more emotionally unavailable to him than he was to her. He had issues, a lot of confusion. And I think like a lot of the characters are right. There's some inner turmoil within them because, you know, as black men, we, we try to figure it out, especially if you don't have that guidance, that particular character. Yeah, I think his father died. When he was young, he was killed. His mother was Italian. That was the reason that, you know, his parents were killed. But think about it. If a person experienced that kind of loss and that kind of trauma, there's a certain level of detachment. So how can you then learn to love and give when you haven't received it yourself? Yeah, emotionally unavailable to women. That particular character, I I can't say I agree with. Because she wanted more from him and he wasn't able to give. So it doesn't mean that you don't love a person. You just can't always give of yourself to them. Right. And then made her more reserved because she was also very fearful about the kind of life he was leading as well. Even how they met and the intensity of their exchange. Mm, Oh, you're good. Oh, you're good. But however, (laughs) I think his approach was kind of, you know what I am and you know what you signed up for. If that makes him, because I don't think he's changed emotionally unavailable. I I could see your point with that particular character, but I still don't think it would be towards the woman that he loves, maybe in, in general, because he's so guarded because he only had himself to rely on for for many years. So my characters, they oftentimes an an identity crisis. And that was true for me for for years. And it conflicts, even the, the emotionally unavailable. Okay, so give us another example. You know, Mateo and wife insurance. How, how can we talk about him love? for a moment? Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. I know all the women would love to talk about this particular character that they loathe. But how does it conflict? How do you love women? You love being in love, but you have these five wives that you, you can't commit to one. Yeah, but is that love? You, yeah, for him, it is. Is that love in the sense of, again, being emotionally unavailable and just, you know, maybe there's this infatuation around the the obsession of the connection yeah. and that's not really love because if you love people, you wouldn't go through the tomfoolery that he engaged in mm-hmm. with these women and the way he treated them. Mm-hmm. He was engaged in all kinds of dubious behavior. Right. He, he wasn't honest. And I, and I think that's probably the thing that perhaps presumably some female readers would come to it to say he thought he was being honest with himself right. by saying, oh, I was honest with you in this relationship. I was honest with you in this relationship and honest with you in this relationship. Yeah. But he wasn't really honest with what is it that he needed and he, what he needed to heal from. I agree with that. But that's why that particular story, the second half of it, he's running for his life because that kind of came back to haunt him. And that was the the message in that particular story. Now, women may feel a way about that particular character, but I'm sure 
80, 90 percent at least one time in their lifetime have dealt with that guy who, for whatever reason, he just chooses not to tell the truth. There's a scene where Eve is she knows all about the other women and she she wants him to pass this test and he just refuses to tell the truth. So he gets what he gets. And so your intention is to really push the conversation for your readers, to get them to think deeply and differently about these particular issues and themes. To be provocative, to, to start conversations like that's what that's the importance of something like that. If Mateo does that to you, that's good. Let's talk because that's what that good art is supposed to do. It's supposed to be provocative. It's supposed to start these conversations, not to shy away from from those things. I know that in Brooklyn, mm -hmm. what I thought was interesting, even the portrayal of the side character Squirrel, mm -hmm. the somewhat comic relief. And mm -hmm. then I think about even just Soul Williams and Soul Survivor, mm -hmm. how he was also this vigilante. How is it that your Black male audience, how do they receive these different kinds of depictions? They're all very, they're different. They have their own issues that they're contending with, their identity crises. But there's also this similar thread that runs through that they're all focused and fixated on brotherhood. Like that was very clear between Brooklyn and Squirrel. With Soul Williams, he had his friend, but then also it was very clear about, I need to be engaged in some sort of, and be connected to family and doing the right thing. Mm. How are your Black male audiences receiving your work? And do you see it differently from Black female audiences? I don't see a big difference in how male, black males or black females receive it. But I do think that they're thankful. I think that they are relieved and excited to see something or someone that looks like them. They can read about someone. The way I felt about reading August Wilson and his work and how well he could flesh out characters and these his characters they had so so many demons so many things that they were carrying with them right so it's like being able to identify with that it's just like it makes you feel a way it makes you feel more interested it makes you more engaged in the story and it makes you feel good because if someone can't fix your problem the next best thing is someone that could say oh i understand or i've been there or i've been through that and i think that's what these characters can do for people even in a comedy you know brooklyn it's about this guy. He's just so innocent. He's green. He's from down south. And everybody's telling him not to snitch. So it's this whole thing surrounding whether to tell or not to tell. And there's so many people who that have confusion about that. So he's, you know, this guy, he's like, well, if this happened and everybody knows, what's the, what's the big deal? And that kind of unwritten code that goes on in that element in those neighborhoods and the chaos that ensues just because he just told the truth or he or he saw something that he wasn't supposed to see. Black people, Black males in particular, they'll definitely be able to identify with each and every male character and what they go through. Okay, so you're saying that in terms of Black masculinity and urban experiences, folks will be able to identify with your characters. Oh, Williams is, you know, his father was a cop and, you know, he's watched, you know, his parents or his one of his parents get get killed and it was really traumatic and he's got all these run-ins with the NYPD and how many of us wanted to do something after something like that has happened to us I know what I wanted to do when when they touched us up and threw us against the wall explain it a little bit more to us 
I definitely wanted to do something more than what I did, but you know, it's being able to identify with, with those things when we can identify with these stories and depictions and whether it's a gangster, whether it's just a regular guy from the neighborhood, whether it's the college students in, in Hit Squad, whether all of these different things, they're all representations of us that need to be brought to light. And so then what do these stories say about Black masculinity and then in juxtaposition, Black femininity? I've had nothing but positive feedback from males. Now, females, they have a different perspective because of the player types and in, in Concrete Jungle and, and Mateo and wife insurance. But it's good. It's good for me because it gives that emotion. It gives me something. When you're pissed off at this guy, it's great. It's going to play even better on screen. No, and I'm happy for you, too. And I think it's always a tricky thing. And I experience this myself when you're putting content out in the world, whether it's for me like books or through the YouTube or even this podcast. You always have critics and you have also fans. And it's nice to be able to hear all of the feedback, positive, negative and in between as well. And so I think one of the things I wanted to ask you, because what I hear you talk about is just this interesting juxtaposition between there's a need for representation for folks to be able to see themselves or as you recounted those actors wanting to play particular roles in things that they want to see themselves in and then you also have and not to sound like an academic but you also have this other side of art and the ways in which these sorts of white supremacist confines help to perpetuate certain kinds of stereotypes that continue to exist. So on the flip side, one could say, well, the character Mateo in Wife Insurance, he's just stereotypical Black man who mm-hmm. is really a player. He's highly promiscuous. He has the sexual prowess, all these other kinds of stereotypes about Black masculinity, mm-hmm. right? Versus for you, it's like, no, there's a representation because there are people who are like this in real life. Absolutely. And right. that is just one facet of being human. So for you as a writer, how is it that you try to balance this where you want representation, but are mindful of the persisting stereotypes that exist about African descendants. I just think you you bring truth to light. I don't think it's irresponsible if it's true. I think Tupac, I heard him say, someone asked him about what do you think is something that's irresponsible? So if you talk about killing and drugs, you don't talk about the repercussions, jail, death, pain, people losing this. So if I'm just going to perpetuate, if I'm going to write a gangster movie, what is the message in that? Is it just, you know, Black people acting a fool, shooting things up? You know, no, there there is a story there. There's so many underlying themes to that story. There's so many moving parts and there's consequences to that. And on the flip side, like I can't think about what someone might be offended by. I can find something that someone would be offended by in every single thing I've wrote. Oh, he objectifies women. It's like, like, and my response was a smart ass response. It's like, well, I'm glad that your father objectified your mother because you wouldn't be here. And it's like, oh my God. <laughs> now, why did you have to go and say that? Because it's true. It's like, let's calm down. Let's not be so sensitive. If I'm thinking about who might be offended, then I won't be able to create. You know, I have to bring truth to what I write. Some people will get it, some people won't. I don't think anything I write will be so offensive or irresponsible. I am sound on my integrity and and who I am. So I don't think about that. But I know if I'm thinking that 
when I'm writing, I won't be able to write because someone will always be offended. I mean, they could say Soul was has something against white people, but he's killing people who are oppressing or, or beating on black people. They could make that argument and it wouldn't be true, but they could make that argument. They could say I perpetuate violence with Southside Gangsters because this is a gangster movie. OK, so give us some examples. This guy that was doing coverage of a review, and it was a white guy, and he's writing his coverage, and he writes, oh, the word fuck was used 137 times in the script. And I'm like, sir, this is about gangsters on the south side of Chicago. I'm pretty sure they use the word fuck. They're not talking like intellectuals (laughs) in a coffee shop in California. So there's always someone that could be offended by what you do. And I try to bring as much truth to that as I can. And Tyler Perry, you mentioned him earlier, but Tyler Perry also framed that too, because he received a lot of backlash for a good number of his films also, particularly uh-huh. the Medea line as well, and coming up against some of these same types of stereotypes. And 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 some people felt some type of way about it, and others were like, no, I, I know people who are like these characters. Right, this you know Medea. Yeah, you know Medea. It, it may not be your cup of tea, but we all have a grandmother or aunt or someone in our past and our life, maybe even a teacher that was exactly like Medea was. Yeah, people are going to be offended by that. But I mean, you can't create if you're thinking, I don't want this person. I don't want to offend that person. You mean to tell me that there's not guys out there like Mateo? No, there's not guys out there like Mickey Beam. No, there's not gangsters out there. No. There's guys that are educated, you know, like Sarayan in, in Concrete Jungle, but he's just a criminal. There's all different types of people, all different walks of life. So there's not just one thing. It's just problem with us is we don't see it enough. So whatever we see, we're open to criticism. And I mean, you know, to create, to be an artist, you got to put yourself out there. Okay. And so for you, it's being able to put out this kind of content, whether folks agree, disagree, find it controversial or not, but you are viewing it as a way to have a conversation and to be able to engage in discourse with others. Yeah, you need to explain, you need to educate people and let's have have the conversation because then when we have the conversation, you'll get an understanding and I'll get an understanding. That's that's the way it's supposed to be. As part of your tagline, you mentioned that now you've decided to scale the invisible Hollywood wall. Uh What does that mean to you as a screenwriter in the self-publishing realm? It is so confusing because I was trying to, my friend, I said, Beverly, she was my conduit to that world. But other than that, before I even met her, I had about three or four scripts and I couldn't get anyone to look at it. If they rejected, they say it wasn't good enough, fine. They, I just couldn't get anyone to read. You know, they say, oh, you think you just you wrote a screenplay, you send it to an agent. They say yes or no. No, it doesn't work like that. They won't even read it because everyone's afraid of someone stealing their work, so they won't accept submissions unsolicited. Well, you got to know someone who knows someone. So how do I get into this world what I want to get into so bad? It's this wall. That's why I'm saying, like, if you don't know anyone, if you don't know anyone that works in the business, how do, how do you penetrate that? It'll be a miracle if I can get someone to read it, and then they have to like it, and then they have to want to invest millions of dollars in The script book series, for me, was two things, because I just had this fear of dying with all this stuff on my computer that no one would ever see. So that was one. And then I remember I was looking up August Wilson's in the the century, the American century cycle. We had the 10 plays and I thought that was so cool. And I was like, well, I think I got, I got 10. 
Now, I thought this this would be a brilliant plan if I that was my plan all along, but it really wasn't. I was just like, if it's a book, I can send them a book because they'll read a book. It's already published. And so how has it been going for you? I'm just starting to get people in that industry to read because now it's protected. When I send it in the form of a script book, so people are like, what is a script book? It is a screenplay in the form of a book. That's this way everyone could look at my work, you know? So it was brilliant in that respect, but it was totally by accident. I wish I could say like, yeah, I came up with that. Because Hollywood is very much, it functions in a way that you have to know someone who knows someone else and to be able to vouch for this other person and people leveraging their relationships that way just to Mm -hmm. allow certain people to come through or to scale the wall and climb over to the other side. Mm -hmm. One of the things that happened in the process of you is the fact that you developed a different kind of strategy that was a lesson that you were able to circumvent. And that was the script book. By self-publishing it, it allowed you to have your own copyrights over it. The lesson you learned by happenstance is that you were able to circumvent instead of climbing the wall, you're like, I'm just going to walk around it. (laughs) Right. Right. That invisible wall that I reference is, is even higher for uh, African-American because we have a small group that's within that world to begin with. So it, it's hard for a white guy to get in there. So the black guy has to be twice as good to get half as much. That was the lesson for me. And I'm like, if, in order to do this, I'm it's going to have to be good. But I got 10. I got nine features in a play. So that gives me more of an advantage. It gives me more leverage. And now I'm starting to make some noise out there. Get it, get it. Act three. Where we land. Shamik, at this point of the program, this is a time that I really ask my guests to shine, to highlight, to let listeners know, you know, what's your latest project, where they can find you, where can they access your work? You can find me on Amazon, all the script book series. Make sure you go to Amazon and pick up the script books. I'm pretty confident that I'll have at least one story that you'll find interesting or like. Also available on walmart.com, Barnes & Noble. I'm turning all of those books into audiobooks. The advantage that a script book has that the regular novel doesn't is you can actually hear a movie being played out on the audiobook. Might be some other things with the films coming. I can't say right now. Folks will just have to wait and see. Fingers crossed, you know, you should be hearing something in the coming months with, with that. And do you have a social media handle where folks can follow you? So as you're posting alerts and latest projects that they can find you? Yes. Just search my name. It's Shami Cook on Instagram, on Facebook. It's Cook Shami on Twitter. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing your journey of belonging to Blackness. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And it was just a pleasure talking to you. There you have it. The journey isn't over, but this episode is. Until next time, peace.